0: Ladies and gentlemen, you
1: are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now, your host, Paul Leslie.
2: Hey, it's me. Hello and welcome. How are you, my friend? Honored to have you here on the Paul Leslie Hour, listening along. On this episode, I want to introduce you to John Gill. This is an interview that we did together. It aired on the radio back in 2008. John Gill was the drummer with the Eddie Davis and Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band. He's one of those guys. He is just a complete music lover. Growing up in New York City, John Gill's eclectic music tastes ranged from country singers like Gene Autry to greats like Liberace. Music brought him to live and perform in many parts of America, from San Francisco to New Orleans. And in New Orleans, he played everywhere from the French Quarter's Bourbon Street Bars all the way to the famed Preservation Hall. John Gill's interest in jazz is in the traditional form, and his playing and grasp of the New Orleans style earned him a spot in the Woody Allen and Eddie Davis New Orleans Jazz Band, with which he performed every Monday evening at the Carlisle in New York City. In addition to the drums, Gill plays trombone, he plays the banjo and guitar. His love of music runs deep, and with several groups, including the Jazz Kings, the Yerba Buena Stompers, the Delta Stompers, he has recorded and preserved older styles of jazz that is sadly becoming more and more rare. I hope you enjoy the interview with John Gill. As always, let me know what you think.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Leslie presents, and now your host, Paul Leslie. It's our pleasure to welcome our special guest, Mr. John Gill, who plays drums with the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band, among other instruments. Thank you very much for making the time to do this interview.
0: Great to be here.
1: I wanted to start kind of from the beginning. How did you get involved in music?
0: Well, I had uh, musical inclinations when I was... A very young boy. My first influence was Liberace. He had a television show in those days. And I used to watch uh, him play the piano. And my parents often thought I would be a piano player. Of course, I've never learned to play the piano. But it starts around there. So I had a real interest in music starting in about 1950. By 1958 or 59, I was of music as a young kid. I had my own records and a record player and all that kind of stuff. And I was becoming more interested in trying to pick an instrument around the time that I first heard the Beatles by 1963. And that I got all caught up in Beatlemania, and I decided to become a drummer. Ringo Starr was my first inspiration to actually play an instrument.
1: And what part of the country did you grow up in? New York City. You mentioned the Liberace TV show. Other than the Beatles, what kind of stuff did you listen to?
0: At that time, I was listening to a typical 50s potpourri of music. I liked country music in those days. I liked Hank Williams, and I liked Gene Autry very much. I had his children's records when I was young, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Here Comes Peter Cottontail and all those things. From there, I got interested in other Gene Autry vehicles via his movies and things. There was a television show in New York called Million Dollar Movie. It showed old-time movies and it was done in the in, in the style of like an actual movie theater. The movies would show one movie a week and it would show it every night. And then on Saturdays and Sundays, it would have matinees. And, and so, so they ran the television show like it was a, you were actually going to a movie theater. And they showed a lot of old musicals and music-oriented films on that. So that's where I became acquainted with Gene Autry as a singing cowboy. I liked that. I loved Roy Rogers. I like the early Elvis records and Johnny Cash as well. I had a fondness for those. I acquired of. a big batch of records in about 1960 or so. Uh, one of the neighbor's kids was going off to college and laid a bunch of records on me, including a lot of the Sun 45s and things, it included a lot of the Elvis, uh, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins records. I liked them all very much.
1: Sounds like a good variety of stuff. How did you get in, interested in the traditional jazz
0: stuff? Well, my dad is a fan of trad jazz, and not real trad, Dixieland. He liked Dixieland. There was a lot of Dixieland in New York when I was growing up. There was a lot of jazz on TV and things. Of course, that caught my interest, too. I liked the older style. I I never really went in for modern jazz or big band jazz. I liked the small band stuff. The guy you could see all the time on TV then was Louis Armstrong. He was a frequent guest on the Ed Sullivan Show. You know, those shows were like rituals. Everybody watched them every Sunday. So you would uh, see him on, on various television shows during the, during the week. Joe Franklin had a television show all those years, and he would always have the old-time guys. And so my father had an interest in Dixieland, had a few records around. And when I started playing the drums, he would be playing his Dixieland records, and I became attracted to the drummers that played that style of music. So uh, around 1965 or so, I started assembling a Dixieland collection and started learning how to play Dixieland drums.
1: And how did you take the jump from being a music lover into being a musician yourself?
0: I'd have to say it started in high school. So around 1966 or 67, by that time I had started playing the banjo as well. I was playing the five-string banjo in a folk Type of group around my neighborhood doing the New Christie Minstrels type of thing and the Kingston Trio and all that kind of stuff. I got a whole, interested in you know, getting a four string banjo, which of course is you know, part of the Dixieland influence. So I got into the four string banjo, and, and about 1966, I went and sat in with a band. I worked up the courage to ask a band if I'd, go, I'd sit in for a tune. So they let me sit in, and I met some people. This was at a place called Your Father's Mustache. Was used to be uh, down on 7th Avenue and 10th Street, which was at one time the actual location of a famous jazz club called Nix in the village that had all the famous Dixieland guys played back in the 40s. But anyway, it was a banjo a sing-along place. And on Sunday afternoons, they had Dixieland. And I got to know the guys that played in the band. And they took me under their wing, and they started calling me for jobs. So around 1967, I got a musician's union card and started playing gigs. I love doing it. It seemed like a possible way to make a living, so I began to pursue it.
1: Some of the people that maybe have seen the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band, maybe they don't know that you play those other instruments. You mentioned the banjo. What other instruments do you play?
0: I also play the trombone in New Orleans style. Like I said, i have still stuck pretty much to root forms. I'm attracted to the root music, I guess. So I play the trombone, I play the guitar. And uh, I have a little trio that works around New York quite a bit. And we do a lot of old-time country and rockabilly music and things like that.
1: Do you have a favorite instrument?
0: I'm kind of uh, transfixed on the guitar for the last several years. I've been working hard on that. I took up trombone when I moved to New Orleans. I moved to New Orleans in 1989. And on a whim, I mean, I'd always liked the trombone. I worked with a band in San Francisco called Turk Murphy's Jazz Band. Turk was a a great exponent of tailgate trombone, a a style that is almost completely forgotten today. There's only a handful of trombone players in the whole country who play really authentic old-style trombone, in my opinion. I picked up the trombone and endeavored to learn to play the older style and concentrated on the work of people like Kid Ori and George Brunis and... Eddie Edwards, those type of players avoided the more modern stream. So I play the trombone. I'm interested in that. But I've been playing a lot of electric guitar, again, in the old, old-time style. I'm a big fan of Merle Travis, a finger picker. I'm trying to learn that style. I basically took up the guitar to back up my voice. You know, when I do the 50s stuff, banjo isn't the right instrument.
1: I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about your time in New Orleans playing
0: Yeah, it was a very good time. I I was down there from 1989 until about 1996, I guess. It was great. I mean, right off the bat, it was a great time to be in New Orleans. I was busy all the time down there, playing all the instruments, made lots of records down there, traveled. Like right from day one, I was working full time the moment I arrived. So I was very lucky, and I lived in the French Quarter, and it was a great place to be. It was a great vibe there to be, for musicians. It's a real music town and always has been, I guess always will be. It's a great place to play music, and people come from all over the world to seek it out. You know, So it's, it was a great time.
1: Very interesting. Just from this little bit of information you've given us, the listeners, I'm sure, can tell that you have a vast taste in music. Do you have a favorite style out of all the ones that you play?
0: No, they're all kind of like tied for first place. You know, I, I like to play traditional jazz, but I like it to be on the traditional side, which is not the most popular thing right now, but I, I stick to my guns there. I love playing with a good trad band. I'm not interested in playing swing or that kind of stuff. It's okay. I do it. You know, as a full-time musician, you have to be able to do what you can do, but my, I prefer the old style of King Oliver and Jelly Roll Morton. I love playing country music. I'm a big country fan. I've gotten back into that in a big way over the past 15, 16 years or so. For most of my work, there almost seems to be that type of music now. But I do love that. I mean, it's hard to say. Uh, I play with a a great group called the Manhattan Ragtime Orchestra just over in Scotland a few months ago, and I got to play with some great musicians. As long as I can do that, I'm happy, I guess, as long as the guys are together a good band that's got a nice direction uh, I'm fine with that
1: how did you get hooked up with the Woody Allen New Orleans jazz band
0: I first met Woody at that place called Your Father's Mustache he used to sub on the clarinet chair in that band it was just at the beginning of his fame you know he could still go out Dash, and that's where I met him because he knew the drummer in the band. They both grew up in Brooklyn. I guess they knew each other as kids and uh, were Dixieland fans. You know, Woody's been a fan for many, many years since his childhood. He would come and sup for the clarinet player, and at the time, he was, you know, an up-and-coming writer and take the money and run like it just come out or was just getting ready to come out. Maybe it was in the, in the works when I met him. So the only film that I think... Prior to that, that he had had was uh, one called What's Up Tiger Lily, which is where he'd taken a Japanese spy film and rewrote all the dialogue. And then when he got involved with his band, his first actual band started playing around, he got involved with a group of people who already had a band going, and I would sub in that band. I would play sometimes the drums, and sometimes I would sub on the banjo chair. The, the banjo player in those days was his a, a guy he used to write with named Marshall Brickman, who uh, played the tenor banjo, and he, he's more famous as a five-string player. So that's how I got to know Woody, and then I, I went out and joined Turk Murphy, and Turk was friends with Woody, so I would have the occasional re-meeting with him. And then when I moved back to New York, the regular drummer left, and I was, I was offered the gig to come in and play drums, so I took it. A-
1: What was your impression of Woody Allen when you met him?
0: He was pretty much exactly the same as he is now. He's quiet, introverted in a way. you know. I wouldn't say that I'm close friends with him. I mean, I know he likes my playing, so that's why I'm there. I'm like a colleague of sorts. He's an honorable man, a nice guy. He takes care of the band nicely. We do some nice gigs, and I enjoy working for him.
1: I was hoping we could talk a little bit about your uh, fellow bandmates. Is there a camaraderie with the band? I mean, I've had a chance to talk to a couple of you guys, and it's been very, very interesting, fascinating stuff. And I was just wondering, are you guys close at all?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I met Eddie Davis when he first came to New York, so I've known Eddie for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, Eddie Davis was the leader on the first professional job I've ever played. Interesting. And so that would be by 1966, and he had just come to New York. It was, And it was at the Forest Hills Country Club. longer. lot of time in Europe and away out of the country, so I don't get to see him that much. I first met him in about, I would say, 1987, 86, 87. He was playing bass with Tom Waits then. And in those days, I worked with a guy named Leon Redbone, and they did a couple of tours together. So I met Greg on some of those tours. So I don't see Greg that much, and Jerry, the trombone player, well, he was about three hours away from all of us up in Connecticut, so I very rarely see Jerry, except you know every Monday night and when we travel with Woody. But you know our paths don't really cross. He doesn't really come down to New York, and, let, and this I don't really work up in Connecticut. And he's got a family and all; and it's busy. So, but he's a great trombone man. I wish he lived in a little closer.
1: When someone goes and sees one of your shows, whether you're playing with the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band or any of your other groups, what is it that you hope that the listener gets out of the experience?
0: You know, a pleasant sensation, I guess. I mean, I don't expect them to go away with a lot of a sense of history. I I like them to have a nice time, basically, and get that feeling that I got when I first heard the music. What did really grab me, I remember when I first heard it live, uh, it was the band that played. The first live band I ever heard was at that place called Your Father's Mustache. And up to then, I'd spent about a year or two listening to records. No, and being too young to go to a place i mean at that time in new york you had to be 21 to get into a place i could sneak in when i was 17 or so if i was careful i could and and i was about 17 when i went down there for the first time and they let me in and i got in i got to know guys in the band they vouched for me after that and uh, but i i still remember the thrill of the sound of the clarinet. you know live it's never captured on records in an appropriate way but to hear that sound live, it still never fails to uh, to give me a, a sense of enjoyment every time I hear it. When the sounds are all right and it's righteous and traditional, that is.
1: You have a number of records out. You have one album, the John Gill's Jazz Kings. I must have it. For another group, you're in the Yerba Buena Stompers, the Yama Yama Man, and also another group called the Delta Stompers. I was hoping you could t- you could tell us a little bit about those recordings. It's very interesting. I'm very fond of that kind of music. What gave you the decision to kind of interpret some of these classic pieces?
0: I go to the classic stuff for repertoire. I, I you know, I don't really write anything or things like that. I'm an I can arrange stuff, and so I, I just take like my favorite records and and make them playable. Now the Jazz Kings was a band. That we had a steady job. We had a steady night at a place called the Cajun, and the place is gone now, unfortunately. And so we put that record together just to have something to sell. It was representative of the repertoire we were playing. And then the Yerba Buena Stompers, I was asked to put together a band to do a concert in Europe as a tribute to Lou Waters and the Yerba Buena Jazz Band. They were a band in San Francisco in the 40s. They started in the late 30s, and it was put together by this guy, Lou Waters, who was sort of a disgruntled big band musician. He played the trumpet. And he was a, a record collector of sorts and uh, was a fan of the old time jazz, New Orleans style, and developed this brassy approach to it. You know, he used tuba and banjo, for instance, in the rhythm section instead of guitar and bass. And he used two trumpets and a trombone and a clarinet instead of just one trumpet. He did write some original material specifically for that kind of a band. And they were very popular for from about 1941, 1942. Then they all got drafted. And after the war in 1946, they got back together again and went on to about 1950. And then the band disbanded and the trombonist, who was named Turk Murphy, put together his own band, a slightly smaller band that did the same thing. And I eventually worked with him for 10 years at the end of his career. And the other famous band to come out of that was led by the other trumpet player named Bob Scobie, who led a band for many years, very successful uh, G- Dixieland style band. So the guy asked me to put a band together, and I was living in San Francisco at the time, and I did. Who could make it and switch them some of the instruments? Like, I play trombone in it, and the guy who plays tuba in the Yerba Bueno Stompers plays guitar and banjo on it, and the piano player in the Yerba Bueno Stompers has moved over to the bass. It's Leon Oakley, who's an, an orange Callan and myself on the front line, and, and Hal Smith on the drums. They're playing their usual instruments. And so, and that goes in a slightly more New Orleans way, doing the uh, Kid Ory, Bunk Johnson type of stuff. What is
1: it that you like about music?
0: Just it's all I do. I'm just, uh, I'm crazy about it. You know, I mean, I always have so much research to do and so much practicing to do. It's just, you know, it's my whole life. I just love it. I don't know what I do without it. I can't imagine not being a musician.
1: Very interesting. I have two final questions. I found that this answer that people give, it actually tells a lot about a person. What is your all-time favorite meal?
0: all-time favorite meal, I don't do it that much anymore, but my favorite would be a, a really fine cut of beef, baked potato and string beans, and a, a nice salad beforehand, and perhaps a, a Manhattan to drink after I finish eating all of it.
1: Uh, an appropriate uh, cocktail for a New York man. My last question, this broadcast is going out all over the world, and the Woody Allen New Orleans Jazz Band is about to head on over to Europe. So my last question, what would you like to say to the world? What would you like to say to all those people out there
0: listening? Well, I hope you come in and hear us and have a good time and, you know, help us keep it going a little bit. It's getting harder and harder to do this kind of thing. And, you know, we're lucky to have woody's fame to bring people out so we we get to play for a lot of people who wouldn't normally hear this kind of music and so we're building a new fan base for traditional jazz you know which is really great we meet all kinds of people that come because they're fans of woody's work but then they become fans of the music so that's what i hope the legacy of this band is that it maybe turned on a few people to a music they might not have had a chance to hear had they not been woody allen fans first
1: Very well put. Thank you very much for this interview. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Words have no meaning
2: at all Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie Intro theme song Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro Scatting G Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time.
1: Goodbye.